Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Today on the show, I have with me Matthew Ray Lida. Welcome, Matthew. Hey, thanks for having me, Drew. You're welcome. Matthew is the author of Recover the Wild, a collection of unfiltered poems and prayers, which have been extremely helpful for me to see how this journey of outgrowing porn can be enhanced and expressed through poetry and through art and through the imagination and the parts of us that we might be more inclined to filter. Be like, I don't want to let that out. I don't want to write about that. And you take off the filter in this book and it's so refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of unlearning to take that filter off. I feel like that word unlearning is so important because we have learned to filter ourselves in some ways that have hindered us and ways that can really prevent us from healing. Yeah, I think it's uh, <clears throat> Brene Brown that talks about if you want shame to grow, you give it secrecy, silence, and judgment. And then that shame will just grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. And uh, unfilter poetry or prayers, and especially sharing those with you know God or others, that just moves in the opposite direction of shame, which is that engine of addiction. I love that. Instead of shame and silence, it's honor. And it's giving ourselves a voice. Mm -hmm. Instead of judgment, just acceptance. Mm -hmm. I love that. And today we're going to talk about the power of poetry and how it can help us heal. And you have received some of the same training as me as a pastoral sex addiction professional. Yeah, that's right. What else do people need to know about Matthew Ray Lida? Yeah, what are the bare necessities? Uh, husband of one, father of three glorious, wild, cantankerous children. Uh, I live in the foothills of South Carolina. Uh, educator, um, trained as a mental health coach and as a, a life purpose coach. And uh, co-founder of a nonprofit, Recover the Wild, that's helping men and families recover their wild connections. And uh, yeah, uh, I guess on that top list of things to know, uh, I like camping and hiking and I've often gotten lost in the wilderness. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> I should probably learn how to use a compass one day, but uh, yeah. Well, Matthew, why are you so passionate about helping men recover the wild? So this has been a, uh, you know, human, human flourishing has been so close to my heart uh, pretty much my whole life. Uh, growing up, whether it would be um, in the church context or living overseas or even in the classroom, um, or even when I was in the coffee industry, there's this common theme of human flourishing. And then when I lived overseas, the work we were doing um, just 
prompted this beautiful question. And the question was, what would it look like to get to the heart of men? And I see that when a man changes and lives more whole, more honest, how Jesus said about that life abundant, that abundant living, I've, I've noticed that everybody in the three feet or six feet surrounding him, his circumference, uh, they benefit from that. And uh, not just the people, but even uh, the more than human world, like, uh, you know, the environment and things like that. So uh, I do care about seeing men change and grow and transformed into the image of love, image of Christ. Yeah, Matthew, we could talk a lot about why poetry is important, but what you and I talked about doing on this episode was actually just having you read some of your poems. And before you do, could you give us a little bit of a biblical background on why this sort of thing can be powerful? Yeah. So uh, one, a few of my, uh, I guess, mentors in this would be people from scripture. One of them is Doubting Thomas, who usually has gotten just this terrible rap, right? Uh, and But Doubting Thomas is just so utterly honest, just so utterly true. When his friends tell him that, hey, Jesus has risen from the dead, he says, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it, unless I touch it. And he could have went along with everybody else, even though internally he was separated from that reality. But he voiced where he was, the location he was on the map. And as the story goes, that actually him voicing that, him expressing and articulating his, his distance actually gave opportunity for him to encounter life. Uh, the story goes that later Jesus appeared to him and said, hey, you, what you said about touching the wounds here, go ahead. So Jesus was able to love the true Thomas instead of one that was going to go along with the disciples and say, yes, I believe all of this. And, you know, uh, another um, character from scripture that informs this would would be where um, uh, Nathaniel in, in John chapter one and Philip comes to Nathaniel and says, hey, you know, let's go. You know, there's there's Jesus. And, and Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What a bold statement. And a questioning, really, of what? I, I don't know about this. And as that story goes, his question, his honesty unfolded, the opportunity to encounter Jesus of Nazareth and to see for himself if anything good can come out of there. So uh, the act of writing or poetry or just opening up our hearts to maybe let, let go of the, the theological filters or what we think we ought to say can really open us up for encounter with grace uh, to allow our true selves to be loved. So I, I thought I would just start with something I've written recently. That's uh, that's really a confession of my my frailty, my humanity, um, as I try to father three kids, and uh, something very mundane. It's about bedtime. <laughs> Still putting kids to bed, and it's called fire, heat, 
and dragons. And it's a confession, really. Fire, heat, and dragons. The quickness to anger and judgment automatically over sleep and a lamp. Oh, my dear son, do not take your father's agitation personal. I too am baffled by it. Oh, son, why do I want to roar at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time? Here in our home, the hints of fire, heat, and dragons. The automaticity confuses and confounds me. My most genuine heart wants to be pliable in the hands of God, longs for the simplicity of a surrendered life. But tonight my body's anthem is no, no, no. Is it all about expectation? Is it about privilege and what I think I deserve? Control and management? Dear impatience, tell me about your origin. Here, now, an unfinished father, an imperfect dad, an in-process man. Here, now, loved to love, loved to love. <sighs> yeah. Thank you, Matthew. Yeah. That one is very relatable to me as a father of young children. I have my own fire and heat, and I feel like you just gave me permission to bring my true self. Yes, permission. That's right. Yeah, permission to bring those parts of us that we. I might be really quickly to judge and say, I don't like that. I shouldn't be this way. You know, why is it still like this? Something about putting those words on paper and even hearing myself say it out loud. And um, if I really want some power in the company of others (laughs) and um, that that's like, no, this is what it's like to be human. And, you know, if we If we make the connection with recovery, what I just read is step 10, um, just through and through. Step 10 says we continue to take personal inventory, right? And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And so, yeah, so much, and it's very mundane. And, you know, recovery isn't something that can just be added into life like an extra item on the calendar, but it's something that just weaves its way throughout the ordinariness of life, like work and home and play and, you know, everything like that, travel. And so that that, uh, poem right there really illustrates that. So in that poem, in writing that poem, you're like one of those biblical characters taking off your mask, being real, and allowing Jesus to love you there. Yeah, allowing Jesus to love you there. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, I think it's a Christian counselor named, named I think it's David Binner or David Brenner, but 
he says, we, we often think that self-transformation comes first. Self-transformation, then um, self-surrender, then after all of that, self-acceptance. Like after all, it, all has changed, then I'll accept myself. But he says that's, we got it backwards. The very first thing for transformation is self-acceptance. Then self-surrender. Then self-transformation. And how often in my life I've put the transformation first. I'll change first. Then I'll accept and that does not give license or a free pass to any unhealthy um, or hurtful actions. It's just accepting the story, accepting the emotions, accepting the experience, and then moving down to surrender and mm -hmm. transformation. That resonates with me too, especially when the change that I'm trying to create first isn't coming because I haven't accepted myself. Yeah. That's right. Haven't accepted reality. Haven't yeah. accepted the situation. Haven't accepted my story. Yeah, accepted the story, the whole whole picture. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that takes a lot of courage. One of the things I love about your approach to healing is the role of creation and actually being out in the wild over there in South Carolina. Could you share a story or a poem that? took place outside? Yeah. So I was really encouraged early on to get outside and listen to the heartbeat, the heartbeat of the creator, the heartbeat of love in creation. Uh, the, the Celtic tradition of Christianity actually is very bold in saying that creation uh, or nature is the very first Bible or is the big Bible. And what came later later in the written form is, is a smaller Bible and of inspired worth. But when God first spoke and expressed God's self, it's what we see. It's the clouds, it's the mountains, it's the ground, it's the rivers, it's the waterfalls. This is the very first, this is the oldest uh, expression uh, and in the book of Romans, I believe Apostle Paul says there's so much chargedness in nature, presence, that pretty much we don't have an excuse, <laughs> is what he says. And so I was in the Mountain Bridge Wilderness three or four years ago. It's between a place called Caesar's Head and, and Jones Gap. And it was my very first backpacking trip. And so I was testing out my new gear. And Surely, uh, I was I was lost in the first fifteen minutes. <laughs> I felt like the biggest goober in the world because I just kept on going in circles, kept on going in circles. Uh, there's a poem about that too, but I eventually made it to my first campsite at uh, the Natural Land Trust Trail, and the next morning I got up and hiked about eight miles to a place called Pinnacle Pass. I set up my tent at Pinnacle Pass, this beautiful, bald rock overlooking the Appalachian Mountains. And uh, as soon as I got in my tent, thunderstorms striking. I mean, 
as soon as I zipped the tent closed, bam, it, the clouds opened up. And so I, I spent a couple hours there just waiting for the, the weather to smooth over. And then I got out and I went back to that bald just to sit out there in solitude and gaze at the beauty and spend some quiet time with Christ. And a little backstory, I had taken a classic with me, like a classic Christian book from like 13th or 12th century called The Cloud of Unknowing. So that's the title of that book I took with me. Well, as I was sitting on that bald, I was just wrestling with some questions, just wrestling with my heart, wrestling with some questions, some doubt. And I noticed the vapor and the steam from the rain or had formed into these little clouds at the bottom of the mountains. And I just was just observing, just paying attention. And then I noticed 15 minutes later, the clouds have, had grown, they had risen, and they were starting to come together and melt together. After about five more minutes, my whole view of the, the mountains, of, of the foothills as well, had gone white. I couldn't see anything. All of the va- all the all the steam from the rain um, hitting the ground had just made my entire vision go white, and um, and it was even like coming up the rock ominously towards me, like a white cloud. I was like about to be engulfed by a white cloud, and uh, that was really powerful for me. And especially given the book I was reading, uh, I was reading Cloud of Unknowing. <laughs> and so I wrote this poem about that experience as I reflected on it. And it's, it's actually the very first poem in Recover the Wild. And it's called The Thunderstorm's Children. I'll read that for you. The hills are so quiet. Present available, majestic, and mysterious. I can't help but stand and stare. The steam, a mass of the storm's offspring, hovering just below every summit. Battalions of cloud stationed inside and above the community of ancient friends. These foggy masses are the thunderstorm's children. Slowly these vapors rise, being born into the world. They slowly ascend the heights, climbing, climbing until my blessed perspective on the valley goes blind. My blessed perspective on the valley goes blind. Little by little, vapors rise in elevation, and my perspective is altered from endless hills to blinding white, from vast horizons to ominous nothingness. See the thunderstorm's children interrupt the mountaintops with fog and threateningly stretch toward my position 
upon the rock. What is it, dear unknown, dear children, that you want to teach me? That's the thunderstorm's children. And one of the things that strikes me as I read that is if we're considering the intersection with recovery, specifically any man that's wanting to let go of unwanted habits of porn use, there is stopping and there's staring and there's gawking and, and looking involved in that in that compulsive behavior and acting out. The stopping and the staring and the looking is good. It's that capacity itself is beautiful. And so in wilderness and in creation, it's the same, it's the same strength underneath. We're not saying that stopping and staring and looking is, is bad. We're saying that, man, there is so much chargedness in the words of Gerald Manley Hopkins, so much chargedness in in creation, if we give ourselves the space and the time, maybe the courage to just get out there and look. We can look and we can stare and we can interact and be amazed. So for you, looking out at this blinding white fog was a moment of beholding, beholding beauty in a good way, in a way that was out of your control and was quite possibly going to harm you. And yet it was, it was bringing you into the mystery of God and this life. Yes, that's right. The beholding. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And, and there's a, an adventure to it. There's an adventure out there. There's the unknown, uh, even sometimes the adrenaline and the mystery. And so men who may be acting out compulsively with pornography, there is the element of adventure there, um, skewed as it is, an uh, element of adrenaline or, or seeking. And we're not saying that is wrong. It's, it's, it's actually good and, and wild and intrinsic. What I'm saying and what we're seeing is these times in creation, it's, it's, it's one of many healthy expressions of that. Mm-hmm. And we could say it's, it's sensual, right? It's sensual in the sense that it's engaging the senses, the eyes, you know, the ears, the nose, the olfactory sense, the smell out there, the touch. I mean, the whole thing. Even the taste of words just speaking them out in, in nature and solitude. So um, sometimes men in recovery have this, this sense of feeling deprived. And what we're saying is there's no deprivation there is so much available to the senses, to the body, and it's good. And um, and and uh, what I'm saying here is, it's that mixing of poetry and nature time. Yeah, 
And that's that is one of of the good options. Yeah. It strikes me that without stopping and savoring that kind of experience and maybe writing a poem about it, one would miss out on what's fully happening. I mean, it would be easy for me if I was in your situation to close my tent and do nothing and miss out on the whole experience, much less maybe see it and think, oh, maybe that's cool. And then go back to my own little world rather than entering into the senses and beholding the mystery and allowing myself to submit and surrender to this adventure. And then to actually realize that it happened and reflect on it. I think that's where the learning comes is when we get back to a piece of paper afterwards or with a a friend and process the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, there's so much gift happening, you know, out there what I expressed on the mountain, right. But also just in mundane, ordinary, you know, nine to five life, there is so much grace. That's just, it's just happening. Like I just breathed. I'm alive. That is so good. And there's there's like so much love and so much grace present. And like you said, Drew, it's like it's pausing to take time to embrace that and, and bring it in, to open up our hearts and to bring it in. Um, and that is part of uh, a man recovering from porn or recovering from any habit he needs to outgrow is this practice of mindfulness. This is not, this is uh, not too different from meditation. It's contemplative. It's slowed. There's solitude. It's quiet. And uh, it is teaching us to observe and to pay attention, to look, to listen. It feels very sacred to me. Mm-hmm. And similar to what Jesus told us to do, look at the birds of the air, mm-hmm. look at the flowers of the field, look at your big Bible of this beautiful world. Mm-hmm. Matthew, it sounds really good to mm-hmm. get into our senses, to behold beauty, to write poetry, to, to be real and authentic about the parts of us we don't like. And yet there are all kinds of obstacles that come up. It can feel intimidating or even is this really going to help me? Is this worth my time? I've got so many things to do. I'm so busy. How can I actually give myself the space to even write a little poem? Mm -hmm. You've created something that can help us get started. What is that? Yes. So I have a seven day filterless poetry challenge and it's uh, an email course. Uh, for just seven days, uh, taking poetry and taking a poem, just in bite-sized pieces and small little prompts, just to begin to touch touch our experience, touch our, our emotions, touch where we're at, and just, you know, take a step into expressing that on paper or on the keyboard, just in a couple of lines. And the only rules for that is we just begin to take those steps an honest expression is just, just try to be as spontaneous and filterless 
as possible. And, and really having just a posture of non-judgment. Uh, and if that, if that's something that speaks to you, if that calls to you, uh, it, it can be one of many ways. It's not, it's not too terribly different than journaling. And, and then in recovery, probably know about doing book work and writing. So it's, it's right in line with that. And I'm going to put the link to that email course in the show notes for this episode. I'm also going to take that little email course so I can do some filterless poetry. I do want to say that this is, you know, if you, if you look in uh, Old Testament scripture, you know, you see the book of Psalms, right? So there's, there's a lot of poetry there. And that's a template, but uh, it's also the the boundary between poetry and prayer is kind of blurred. Um, prayer becomes poetry, poetry becomes prayer. So uh, sometimes that language is helpful too, like to to just try to connect with like some deep desire and uh, and just as a prayer, you know, scribble a few lines. But it doesn't have to sound right. It doesn't have to sound nice. It doesn't have to sound Christian. It only has to be. <laughs> only has to be honest. It has to be honest. And that reminds me of what you said about Nathaniel, whose brutal honesty, can anything good come from Nazareth, was actually blessed and affirmed by Jesus because Jesus says, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Here's somebody blunt who's actually saying what he thinks. Mm -hmm. Yes. And and men wanting to outgrow porn uh, are... If we're talking about positive actions, positive practices to be cultivated, it would be the practice of honesty <laughs> in every way. Um, and, uh, the practice of speaking and living true. And you did mention earlier, Drew, like, well, I don't know exactly how to express myself or seems um, to be a step out there. And it is, but... Also, men who are wanting to outgrow porn know about risk because uh, men who are wanting to outgrow compulsive behaviors have done risky behaviors that have hurt them. Risky behaviors that have worked against life, what Jürgen Moltmann calls death drives. But they've been risked. There's been risky behavior for sure. So, again, that's a part of the masculine heart. We're not. We're not bashing. We're not saying, hey, you, should not, you shouldn't risk. You're, you're too risky. No, we're saying, what are the healthy risks now? Because your wild heart thrives on those risks. So instead of risking and sexually acting out in ways that harm yourself, others, the world, your compassion, let's risk in, in healthy ways. Let's step out in some using that risk muscle, using that part of us that we know how to use um, in some ways that actually facilitate wholeness in life. And, and I would also say that some of us can't afford to not express it. And what I mean there is, uh, there's a quote by Richard Rohr, and he says, the pain that we do not transform, we transmit. So, the pain or the grief in our lives or the sadness in our lives that we do not transform. We, whether we realize it or not, we transmit that. Whether it's transmission through acting out, through anger, 
something downstream to the people that come afterwards. We, we send that. Yeah, that's right. And so to even, and this is, this takes courage and bravery, but to even express in words, like some of our grief, some of the things that sadden us. Um, and like Dr. Craig Cashville says, we don't have to spiritually bypass that, right? We don't have to, we don't have to, we don't have to, like if we wrote a poem about just our sadness, we don't have to finish it with a nice, I'm just thinking of the bow tie right now, but we don't have to put a light, nice little bow at the end and, and at the very end of our poem say, and I know it's going to work out. It's going to be great. And, you know, all things work together for good. We're not saying that's not true. We're just saying you don't have to put a bow on it. You can just express um, your heart and, and your grief um, because there is a grieving in, in, every man who's working through trauma um, and just being alive on the planet, there's grief that comes with it. And if we're looking for scripture right there, right? The book of Lamentations, perfect. I think there's a line in there and it says, uh, I've put gravel rocks in my mouth. <laughs> that's like a, that's a vivid image of man, man this guy's really upset. And, uh, and we see Jesus grieve as well. So there's invitation there. Yeah, I think in Lamentations, if I remember correctly, he's saying, God, you put gravel rocks in my mouth. And railing and raging against the Lord, um, which he does it for two chapters. And then there's chapter three where the clouds break a little bit and then they come back in and, and it doesn't end with a nice, neat bow tie. And that's scripture. That's the Bible. So we're actually in good company if we're willing to recover the wild. That's right. That's scripture. That's that's in written word. And it's also in in nature scripture, too. We see things out in nature like what that, you know, whether it's something that's dead or something that's broken or a, a dead tree or just uh, whatever it is that could be disturbing. That's that's not. That doesn't have a, tie, a nice little bow at the end either. You know, it's, it is what is. And in, in men wanting to let go of divisive habits, it's, an, it's, it's accepting what is. Mm-hmm. Like it's accepting reality on reality's terms. That's the journey we're on. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be good. Like the poetry doesn't have to be good. Uh, it doesn't have to be perfect. Right? Yeah. It's uh, allowing my poetry to not be good or perfect is allowing myself to not be perfect. That's right. That's right. And we know perfectionism is closely correlated with shame. So, uh, yeah, that's it's another opportunity to be curious, to be imperfect, to be unfinished, but still loved at that spot. I don't have to be finished and perfect to be loved. I don't have to do it right. And it reminds me of a poem by one of my favorite poets of all time, Mary Oliver. And it's called Wild Geese. And you really only need the first line. And I could stop right here. Wild Geese, you do not have to be good. I close the book right there. You do not have to be good. 
do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. <sighs> tell me about despair, yours, and I'll tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. You do not have to be good. You only, and David Oliver calls that the thousand mile only, you only, <laughs> it would take many years to get through that only, but you only, 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 only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. And Colossians 3 comes to mind for me. It's your life is hidden with Christ in God. And for me, it's this, this trust that my deepest love is a love for God at the core, the very core. The deepest thing I want is the allness of God. I'll be swept up in that. And that's at all of our cores, is this longing for belonging, for acceptance, for connection, Or Jesus in the Gospel of John said, I am in you and you are in me. <laughs> we are all mixed up into one another. This intimate being caught up into something greater than ourselves. And that's what we, that's the deepest love. And so we can, we can make the call to men to only love what they love. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff. It's covered that base love, whether it be overeating, overdrinking, right? Judgment, acting out. But at the core, at the very bottom, is a desire for God. So you don't have to be good. <laughs> Just love what you love. Your true self, what your true self loves. That's what we're wired to do. To love yeah. the God who loves us. That's right. Yeah. Matthew, I'm really looking forward to this event that we're going to do and to step into that a little bit more. I'm also encouraged by your free resource to help us take off our filters and stop pretending, stop trying to be good. And instead, be love. Mm -hmm. 
I will say in that a seven-day course, uh, I'm, I'm walking with you. And as you respond to those emails, you're free to share those ramblings and pictures and words with me. So I'll be walking with you for seven days as a coach and as a support as well. Thank you so much. Matthew, what is your favorite thing about freedom? <laughs> wow. You know, I took I took a uh, trip with our family to um, Washington, D.C. a couple of years back. And driving home on the interstate, I saw, like, in 50 miles, I saw, like, five or six adult bookstores. And uh, I was just kind of struck. I was just so full of love with my family and our van. It was just a moment of connection. And uh, off, you know, we, we had taken 14 days of so, man, I was just so full of Sabbath. I was so full of peace, um, just so full of connection and, and life. And I was just kind of marveling in all these adult bookstores down the, down the interstate. I was like, wow, I mean, who, who has time for p- pornography? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, who has time for this? And uh, it's it was this sense that given abundant life um, to sabotage it. I wrote this poem about it. It says, who has time for pornography? Adult world, lion's den, again and again, adult fantasy, southern exposure, billboards peppered and posturing along Highway 77. A world, a world. How addicted are we to our very selves? Oh, people, how bent. When all along the blue sky beckons. Hmm. When all along the hills roll. When all along the tunes, the voices, the soundtrack from within my minivan explodes with life. Who has time for pornography? When I venture across this country, when the freest spirit pulses through my veins, when I am in that special place called Shalom, when I walk the woods with my brother, when I look into the eyes of my best friend, when I only love what I really, truly only love. Why pull the SUV into the Lord parking lot? for a tease, only serving as a pin to pop the air out of this hot air balloon. Self-compassion says a firm no. Let's keep this basket and this bag of breeze soaring. (laughs) Matthew, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. That reference to the Oliver poem is not lost on me. Yeah. And all of that is coming from that place of self-compassion. Mm-hmm. That self-compassion that accepts the story and also gives myself space to write or to be immersed in the wildness of creation. 
It's that compassion that says, my life matters, my body matters, my health matters. And it, it kind of cuts through the, the excuse of family or the excuse of time. Uh, you know, I'll do it, but not now because of my family. Or I'll car- carve out some time when I'm not working so much. That's, it's all, that's all a front. It's all a front. Self-compassion says, no, you have, you can only save one life. And your life's the only one you can save. <laughs> and the more whole you are, the, the more that wholeness is going to reverberate out concentrically. So to retreat or to get into some solitude is actually to love the world. <laughs> it's Amen. actually to love your neighbor. Let's go. <laughs> to write poetry. Matthew, thank you so much. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to our recital. Matthew and I will be hosting a poetry recital for Christian men inside the husband material community. To me, it feels like a bit of a a risk or a step of like, hmm, grown men doing a poetry recital. And another part of me is really excited. Like, this is masculine. This is strong and vulnerable and... We're going to be taken off the filter so that we can together be loved. Isn't that what it's all about? So come to our poetry recital. Even if you have nothing to share, you can just listen. You can just receive. It'll be on October 26th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And... This would be a great opportunity to share something small. And it doesn't even have to be a poem. You could share a photograph you've taken or another piece of art or or something you've made of the world. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. I'm visualizing it right now. I'm looking forward to hear what you have to share, Drew. Thank you. I'm looking forward to what I will write. I want to bring something fresh and that comes from where I'm at right now. Mm Mm-hmm. And I even think it might be helpful to get out in nature and write it. And to reminding myself and all of us that we matter. Which is why I always end every episode saying, always remember, you are God's beloved son. In you, he is well pleased. (laughs) 